0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: You go ahead, Mama. <laughs> Welcome. Wow, Mary Danielle. This Tuesday. <laughs> I take a deep breath of air after the Terry and Jesse show. I say, Wow. The next show comes on so fast. <laughs> Not much break. Thank you, Jesus, Mary. Mm-hmm. I gave a teaser to the show today about ignorance of Scripture as ignorance of Christ. And you know, we Catholics are known for by non-Catholics saying that we don't know our Bible, but I think that we really actually do know the Bible if we go
2: to Mass on a regular basis. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. It, it's funny. Yeah. I remember. Um, yeah. A young, a young woman. One time, she was actually at the time she was a teenager, and she was visiting a. She was with a friend, and they were visiting another person that the friend knew. And and um, she was talking. It was a husband and wife, and sure. the my the the young woman was the she's talking to the the husband, and he he's talking about how he left the Catholic Church because um he married this Protestant woman, and he found out that his kids would get Bible at Bible study, and and the the young Catholic woman looked at him and said, "Well, when was the last time you went to mass?" what do you think we read at Mass? Mm-hmm. You know, we can't read anything but the Bible at Mass? <laughs> she said at that point, the Protestant wife almost threw her bodily out of the house. Wow. She got very upset. Because the guy was like, oh, he, he just he just kind of, yeah, he went to Mass and never paid attention, and he never really realized that, yet the Catholics read Scripture, as a matter of fact, go to Holy Mass. And, and I remember many of the Protestant ministers that have come into the Catholic Church have mentioned that it, once they became Catholic, they realized if they went to Mass every day, they got more Scripture it, than any Protestant, because a, a a Protestant minister will typically focus on what he likes in the Scripture, right. whereas the Catholic Scripture um, readings are set up so that we have something from every single book of the Bible read to us. That's
1: right.
2: Within a, th- within a three-year cycle on um in, in the Sunday readings and within a, a two-year cycle in the daily readings So there's something from every single book of the scripture read to us so it's yeah it's ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ I, by the way it was a Saint Jerome a Catholic right. who wrote that and we need to know the scriptures so we, we, we like to do that and we like to start every day here with the um, the reading from the gospel of the day yep and okay. we have mark th- chapter 3 verses 31 through 35. The mother of Jesus and his brothers arrived at the house. Standing outside, they sent word to Jesus and called him. A crowd seated around him told him, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. But he said to them in reply, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those seated in the circle, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother.
1: Mm.
2: Gospel. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting. We have a couple of things going on here. And it's interesting to hear what people comment on this. Well, obviously, Jesus, in this passage, according to some people, mm-hmm. is denigrating his mother. Yeah. Because he's saying, they say, oh, your mother and your brothers are outside. Oh, well, who are my mother and my brothers? These people are my mother and my brothers. right? And they're like, oh, he's, he see? Mary didn't mean anything to him. Well, excuse me, what are you saying about Jesus? Hmm. This isn't, people think, oh, well, I I can't give Mary too much honor because, and so I have to put her in her place. Well, excuse me, what are you saying about Jesus if you say Jesus wasn't honoring his mother? Well, um, Jesus was supposed to be a righteous man, right? And also he performed all 10 commandments perfectly. So as a righteous man, he kept, uh, what was number four? Four, baby. What was that? Um, honor thy mother and thy father. Oh, what? Yeah, and he did it. And, and, and that honor means to bestow glory <laughs> upon? So um, he's not denigrating his mother. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, whoever does the will of God is brother and sister and mother to be. Well. Who did the will of God better than the Blessed Virgin Mary? Nobody. You know, it's like people wake up and hear the birds sing. Now, Jesus is not putting his mother down. To, to put her down would be to, to violate the fourth commandment. Right. He doesn't do that. The other question that comes up here is, oh, his brothers are outside, so Mary had other children, right? Well, that's interesting. There wasn't a single ancient Christian writing who defends the idea that Mary had other children And the first person who questions Mary's perpetual virginity, his name is Helvidius. And it's at the time of St. Jerome. And St. Jerome wrote against Helvidius. And Helvidius was considered a heretic because he is rejecting the constant tradition of the church, which had been held from the beginning, from the time of the apostles, that Mary was a virgin. Before, during, and after birth. She was perpetually a virgin, and she did not have any other natural children. At the foot of the cross, Jesus says to Mary, Behold your son, and he calls her woman. Again, he's not putting her down, he's referring to the woman of Genesis who God would put enmity between the woman and the serpent, between the woman and the devil. Mm-hmm that woman she's the woman who will bear the savior she is the woman who bore the savior mary is the mother of god and so jesus is saying to her behold your son john the evangelist is standing there and then he says to john behold your mother and he gives mary to all of christianity as her as mother now that jesus is leaving the world which is also interesting because if jesus had other brothers why would he entrust Mary to John? Exactly, at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, he entrusts Mary to John. So you have, you have a two-fold thing going on here. We're spiritually Mary's children, but Mary didn't have any other physical children other than Jesus. And this was universally held in the church. And there was the first person who wrote against Mary's perpetual virginity was Helvidius, and St. Jerome took him to task and wrote against Helvidius, And made it very clear that, no, the the church has always taught and still teaches that Mary didn't have any other biological children. And there are names given in the scriptures to the brothers of Jesus. And what's interesting is the brothers of Jesus have a different mother other than Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know, Jesus is called the son of Mary. Right. No one else is called the son of Mary. In, in the gospel. So it's very clear, and, and the church always taught and still teaches that um, Mary was a virgin. She had no other physical children. Jesus is her only son. Because why? She bore the son of God in her womb. Exactly. And and she belonged to, to, totally to God. And that was what Joseph accepted. That's the greatness of St. Joseph yeah. you know, that we miss. That St. Joseph, by the way, Mary and Joseph had a true marriage. Joseph had to know that Mary had vowed to be a perpetual virgin in order to be free to totally serve God in whatever capacity he desired. And he had to agree to that in order for them to contract a marriage. And yes, they were truly married. Mary was not an unwed mother, there was no scandal about her pregnancy. Everybody just assumed Joseph was the father because they were truly married. Once you wrote that contract, that was real marriage. That wasn't just engagement.
1: Yeah, we use the term it's a done deal.
2: It was a done deal. <laughs> you know, and 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 Mary and Joseph never consummated their marriage because their marriage was to be the family that would safeguard the Redeemer. Joseph is appointed by God to be the guardian of the Redeemer. The son of God made man. It's like... Isn't
1: that what St. John Paul II called his document? Yes. The guardian of the Redeemer? Exactly.
2: That's where I got that phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Just a thought. Just Absolutely. St. John Paul II wrote on the guardian of the Redeemer, St. Joseph. And we need to study more and pray more about who St. Joseph was. But at the same time, to recognize in the gospel, Jesus in no way is putting Mary down. And as a matter of fact, by saying that he who does the will of God... Not only is Mary his mother, she's also his brother and sister, you know, as it were, because who else did the will of God like Mary did? Be it done to me according to thy word. God is free to do to me whatever God desires, and I will put no obstacles in his way. Whoa.
1: And that's what we talked about with the Terry and Jesse show in that gospel, Mary, that, that Fulton Sheen gave us the quote about giving yourself to Jesus to do what? To do his will. And so not my will, but your will be done. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, sometimes when we talk about this in the Bible, it sounds like we can get really complicated. But, you know, it really is about falling in love with Jesus Christ.
2: And that's it. That Mary loved God so much mm-hmm. that any other love she had, that's it. God was first. Yep. And it was the same for Joseph. Yep. Joseph gives Mary total freedom to belong completely to God, and he loves God's will and God's plan. And he loves Mary immensely, but he loves God first. And this is what we need to have. This is Bishop Sheen wrote that book, Three to Get Married on Marriage. And he talks about the reality that we need to put God first in our life. Both husband and wife have to have God first in their life. And if they're truly serving the Lord, then they will serve each other in absolute charity because that's what it calls for. And that means a lot of dying to self day in and day out. And that's why, how do we apply this? Are we living the will of God? Are we dying to ourselves day by day? And you know, a lot of us, you know, we go to mass every day and we, you know, I remember a priest one time, he said, we go to mass, we might even pray the rosary every day, we might even be doing spiritual reading, but are we changing on the inside mm. or are we remaining our old crusty self and actually being complacent about, well, you know, I, I do this and this and this, so therefore it's okay for me to be nasty to my neighbor once in a while or to get upset when somebody cuts me off in traffic. Or, you know, to to, to, um, feel sorry for myself or to be bitter or resentful. Really? Are we doing the will of God if we refuse to forgive people who hurt us? No. Now, I'm not saying deny your emotions. If someone does a real injustice against you and you feel the emotion of anger, that's a good thing. As a matter of fact, if somebody does an injustice against you and you don't feel the emotion of anger... That could be a very bad thing. So, um, I hear the music here. So, we'll have to finish that up just a little bit after the break. And then we'll get into some other topics here about where do those ideas come from? Hmm, I wonder sometimes. Thank you for tuning in to Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
0: This is Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. This March, VMPR, in association with the Catholic Resource Center, will be hosting a special conference for the Adoremus Society, Adoremus at the Triduum, a conference on the spirituality of the Triduum liturgies, featuring speakers Father Joseph Fessio, Dr. Anthony Lillis, and Christopher Karstens, addressing such topics as developing a liturgical spirituality, the spirituality of Holy Thursday. The Spirituality of Good Friday and The Spirituality of the Paschal Vigil and Easter Season. It all takes place March 14, 2020, at the historic Sacred Heart Chapel at 381 West Center Street, Covina, California, 91723. You can register online at vmpr.org or call now at 877-526-2151 to reserve your seat today for Adoramus at the Triduum. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we come to understand. According to St. Augustine, understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. May God grant us a strong living faith in Him and His divine plan of salvation and help us to believe so that we may understand. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call triple eight five two six twenty one fifty one. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
2: So welcome back. Thank you, Matthew, for bringing us back. And and I just want to make a comment here on you know the, the idea that some people think that just to feel the emotion of anger is already a sin, and that that's not the case. No. Nope. When an injustice is against you, done against you, you should feel the emotion of anger. Of but but then. What is the sin of anger? When you hang on to that anger and say, I'm going to get even or I'm going to be resentful mm-hmm. or I'm going to be bitter. By the way, that only destroys you. Exactly. When we refuse to forgive those who have hurt us, it hurts us. So what we do is when, when somebody does an evil against us, we can make the act of the will to say, Lord, I will to forgive the person. Right. It's, it's a tr- I mean, there's some true stories about this. What happens when you do and when you don't? When you do, there was a man whose son was murdered. And it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it was just a, the, the kid was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He, he witnessed a robbery, and so the, the robber killed him. And so that man had done prison ministry for years. And after he, his son was murdered, he had a hard time going back into the prison and facing the prisoners. And so he told the priest that he worked with, you know, I need to take a break. Mm-hmm. Well, he took a break for a couple years. But he made the act of the will to forgive. Right. He said, Lord, I want to be able to forgive the man who murdered my son. Well, about two years later, the priest called him and said, you know, I really could use the help. Do you think you could come back? Yeah. And the guy was like, you know, I think I can. I think my emotions are at a point where I can, yes, I can face the prisoners right. and it's not going to be. And so they went in and, and one day they're visiting a guy on death row. And the man on death row described how he, what he was on death row for. He had commit murder, and he's on death row. And, and then he looked at the priest and the layman, and he said, I just wish that I could know before I die that the father of the man I killed forgives me. Mm. And the layman looked at him and said, oh, I'm sure the father forgives you. And the prisoner got ticked because he's thinking, oh, you pious jerk. And he looks at him and he said, that's so easy for you to say. And the layman looked at him and said, no, actually, it's not easy for me to say. I am the father of the man you killed. Wow. And I do forgive you. And here, this man had found peace within himself to the point where when he came face to face with the murder of his son, he could say, yes, I do forgive you. And that also brought the prisoner the grace to know that, yes, God can really forgive you if this man can forgive you, obviously God, and so that he could be at peace with God. He knew he had done something wrong, and he was sorry. Right. But there's always that temptation to say, but I could, God never could forgive me. That's what the devil wants us to believe. It's like, no, God can forgive you. And then there's the tragic story of what happens, and these are both true stories, when you don't forgive. And that was a family whose daughter was murdered by her boyfriend, and not just murdered, but they got they helped the police catch the guy because they knew who had done it. They got permission to be at his trial. They got permission to be at his sentencing. They got permission to be at his execution. Wow. But you know, they never made the act of the will to forgive. They continued to hate. They let their anger turn to sinful anger and hatred. And after that man went to the death chamber for the murder and the crime he had committed, the sins he had committed. Wow. That family was torn apart by the hatred that they had never renounced.
1: That's amazing.
2: It destroyed the family. Wow. The hatred turned in on them. So, no, when someone has hurt you, make the act of the will forget. Lord, I don't consent to the sin of anger. I want to be able to forgive. But in the meantime... Give yourself permission to feel the emotion of anger, yeah. but work it out in a way that's not destructive. I, you know, hey guys, go out and buy some marshmallows and throw them, you know, or <laughs> wad up paper and throw it across the room. You need it, it, yeah. anger, anger produces adrenaline because you're either supposed to run from the situation or you're supposed to fight. So the body produces adrenaline in response yeah. to the anger. So you got to work it out physically, but not by beating somebody up or destroying something.
1: I want to mention that Deacon Bob McDonald, we quote him a lot. Yeah. He did a a CD years ago called Anger and Forgiveness. Yes. And it went into our Lighthouse program. It's in like 8,000 parishes today. I mean, it's a popular recording. He uh, is a permanent deacon, but also a medical doctor. Yes, he is. And, man, that CD, I would give it away if people want to email me, terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at stsaintjoe.com. I'll send you a copy of it electronically. And uh, Or you could call 877-526-2151. They don't know upstairs that I just said, <laughs> and they do. They're listening to the show. And if you want to make a little donation to help us, that'd be great. But that particular recording, hundreds of thousands of them have gone out. And I'll just tell you one quick story since we're talking about anger and forgiveness. I drove out to Tucson, Arizona to do a program at a parish up there with um, evangelization. And I had that CD at the table, and a woman came up to me, and she said, "I really uh, am hurting uh, because I can't forgive my mother." Wow. And so I wow. said, "Do you have anything for me?" And I said, "Yeah, I have this one for you. Go ahead and you know listen to this. This should help you because it's 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 it's, your, it's killing you. I can see it." Yeah. She came back. That was Saturday night. She came back Sunday, <gasps> and a complete changed woman. And she said, "I'm so happy. I listened to that recording." I was able to forgive my mother for, you know, 20 years ago. Wow. She hugged wow. me and yeah. I was like moved by it because, yeah. you know, we're little links in the chain. And right. you can be the link in the chain.
2: Absolutely. Do you know someone
1: that has to be, has
2: that needs to forgive? To forgive somebody. Get
1: that yes. recording right. and shoot it off to them because it can change a life. I saw it. Right.
2: And that's the, the point was what the gospel says. He who does the will of God. And God forgives us. He's, he, if we ask, he will forgive. So we need to be able to forgive. And so, you know, call the 877 and try. five two six
1: two one five one number. Anthony or Trish <laughs> will help you get that recording because this is a critical topic in our world today. Absolutely. Anger and forgiveness. How do we reconcile those?
2: Right. So we want to go on. And and again, I want to remind people, just as a background here, when the scriptures were written, they were written in a historical context. And St. Thomas Aquinas, by the way, oh, by somebody's feast days today.
1: And, oh, boy, we love, (laughs) why don't you you just say something nice about him?
2: Oh, Thomas Aquinas. He's the greatest theologian in the church. I think so. And it's, you know, it's so beautiful. A priest said one time of Thomas, he said, you know, the nice thing about Thomas was if he had an opinion, he kept it to himself. All he ever taught was the truth. And that was it was interesting because Monsignor brought that up at Mass today too. Mm-hmm. Thomas was interested in the truth. And he didn't go off on sidebars. And some people find Thomas very boring because Thomas is extremely methodical. And he's not difficult in terms of mind difficult. He's difficult in terms of lazy bones. He will, you cannot be a lazy bone. That's you can't right. have a lazy bone and That's read right. Thomas because you have to follow him. And he, he he, he just, he hones in on the truth and it's the truth, the truth, the truth. And it's when he wrote his, I believe it was after he was he was writing the Summa, Theolo- Theological. Summa Theologia and a crucifix. Jesus spoke to him from a crucifix. This is great. And he said, Thomas, he said, you have written well of me. What do you want? And Thomas said, and I'm going to say it the way I say it is only you, Lord. He exactly. said, I want you. Only you.
3: Exactly.
2: That's it. I just want you, Lord. That's it. And that, like you said, that love relationship between Christ. Thomas loved God. Yep. And that was the essence of Thomas Aquinas. That was, by the way, The Dumb Ox by G.K. Chesterton. I would recommend that to you. And when you read the Dumb Ox, the Dumb Ox, you think, "Oh, a book about Thomas Aquinas? It's got to be no. It's probably a hundred and twenty pages, maybe, maybe hundred and forty. It's very small, and it's interesting because Chesterton wrote the book in two sittings. He didn't write it; he dictated it to his secretary. Wow! But he he had he had hesitated. He had read Thomas Aquinas before he was Catholic, and for years he said, "I can't write about Thomas. I can't." And finally, he said, "Okay, fine." And he sat down and he dictated. And I remember reading the dumb ox and I thought, my word, G.K. Chesterton must be a saint. And I asked a priest about this. I said, is Chesterton a saint? And he said, I told you. Know, I told him, I just read the dumb ox. And, and he said, I don't know, but I know why you're asking. Because Chesterton did what nobody else was able to do. Chesterton captured the essence of Thomas himself, of who Thomas was. And that was that absolute love relationship that Thomas had with the Lord. So much so that when Thomas Aquinas died, mm. the priest who heard his last confession and he's not breaking the seal, ran through the house saying, the confession of a five-year-old, the confession of a five-year-old. Mm. Here this man's soul was so innocent and pure. And and Chesterton captured this in his book, The Dumb Ox, and it, it just moves you. Yeah. And you realize when you read it, Thomas was about love and the love of God, and he was so in love with God. And that's and I, I that's why I, I mentioned it and that the priest said to me, he said, Yeah, in order for Tom in order for Chesterton to capture that, there has to be some connaturality there, which would indicate that Chesterton himself understood the depth of that love.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. So Mary, I I gave a teaser about our Bible study today, and you're gonna I wanna give a plug tonight at 7 p.m. at the chapel. If you're in the Southern California area, you're welcome to come. And then again, you do the Bible study at 1 o'clock on Thursdays here at the Correct. chapel. Yeah. So let's
2: continue. So speaking of, I, always, I said all the Scripture has a historical context. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, all of life has a historical context. That's true. And people who don't know history are doomed to repeat the mistakes of history. And you know what? Many of us have forgotten our history. And many of us as Catholics have particularly forgotten our history and our roots. We need to go back and read the Fathers of the Church. Why am I talking about history? Well, there's a, there's a, there are modern biblical scholars out there who have these different theories about how the scriptures came together. Oh boy. Well, what's interesting is we have the church teachings on how the scriptures came together. And, um, in in recent times, in the last couple hundred years, Oh yeah, been challenged. To 200 years, there's been great challenges to the scriptures. Mm. And what is the context of that? One of those challenges was in Germany, in the 1800s, there was this movement to say that the Gospel of Matthew was not written first. Well, the church had always taught the gospel as Matthew was written first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew doesn't sit down in his gospel and say, I am Matthew and I am writing this gospel first. And, <laughs> but you know, what? we don't have a single manuscript of Matthew's gospel that doesn't have Matthew's name on it. Yeah. So the manuscript evidence is that, yes, Matthew wrote the gospel, but he doesn't say I'm writing first or, or second or you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They don't say what order they, but the early fathers of the church do tell us who wrote first? Who wrote second? Because we have extra outside the Bible evidence of what order the the scriptures are written in. And Matthew's gospel was written first according to that evidence. And so why was it that in the 1800s, suddenly we wanted Somebody wanted to say, no, actually Matthew wasn't written first. We know that it must have been Mark because Mark's is the simplest gospel, it's the shortest gospel, it's you know, the most direct. So what what was the historical context of this whole theory that and I wanna give you some interesting information that I found absolutely fascinating. Well let's do it when we
1: come back on the Bible with the barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Don't turn that down, we'll be right back. This is Terry Barber and Myra Brown is with me. Myra, welcome!
3: Hi, Terry.
2: I am so happy to be here with you today because I am up to something that I think you'll find very interesting.
1: Tell me. What is it, Myra?
2: Well, I want to give away a DVD, your famous three-hour talk about how to share your faith with everyone. And do you know how I'm going to do it? Tell me. Well, me and my friend, Annie Jo, are calling everybody to talk about monthly donations because that is how we keep this station alive. Absolutely. And so every person that answers either our email or answers our phone call will get that talk. And they
1: can get it by calling 877-526-2151. And just tell us how you heard about it because I really am excited about Myra's project because we want to have Virgin Most Powerful in every state in the union.
2: Yep, and we're going to do it with your help. So answer the phone call, answer that email. And I look forward to getting your prayer intention then.
1: God love you. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us. By going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%! Realestateforlife.org. 877-LIFE-US-1.
0: This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
2: Thank you, Jesse, for bringing us back here. And so we're going to get a little history lesson here. Absolutely. So what happened? Why Why this theory that Mark wrote The gospel, his gospel was written first and then how do we explain how the gospels came together? Well, there's an interesting bit of history. Germany was not a united country until 1871. It had been a bunch of principalities. Kind of like what Italy was, right? Yeah, yeah. little principalities. Mm -hmm. And the Franco-Prussian War had, had made Germany more of a united whole. And the the Bismarck there in, in Germany, he wanted to totally unify Germany, but he had a slight problem. Prussia, the largest part of Germany, was in the north, and it was Protestant. But Bavaria, the southern part of Germany, was strongly Catholic. Where Pope Benedict came from. Yeah, very strongly Catholic. And so Bismarck started a culture war He started a culture war in order to break the power of the Catholic church in Bavaria. Wow. Because the Bavarians looked more to Rome than they did to Berlin. Mm -hmm. They didn't look to, to the capital Prussia for their leadership. They looked to, because they were Catholic Mm -hmm. and they wanted to remain Catholic. They didn't want to follow the Protestants out of the church. So, Bismarck needed a cultural war that would convince the Catholics in the south of Germany that it was okay for them to follow the Protestants. So the Protestant theologians got together and they decided that what they needed to do was, you know, in order to help the Bismarck out, well, we need to change some of the traditional teachings so maybe if we, the Catholic Church has always taught that Matthew wrote first. Maybe we as scholars can say, ah, but you see, they got it wrong. It wasn't really Matthew, it was Mark. And we know that because Mark was actually the simplest gospel. And whatever is simplest always comes first. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, isn't true in terms of literature. And that, historically, there's a lot of very complex literature that came before simpler literature that came later. It, that's There's a whole... So, so you have this whole deal here where the Bismarck of Germany is actually trying to, to destroy the Catholic faith. It's,
1: it comes back down to bringing doubt. In other words, people who are solid in their faith, how can we undermine you know, them in some way that would make them confused or maybe not even be connected to the church?
2: And you know what's interesting about this? As I was reading this, I thought of another historical event that happened. And it was when, in Israel, when 10 tribes were given to a northern kingdom and Mm -hmm. two tribes were left for Judah after after Solomon had been unfaithful in his old age. And the kingdom was split up, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And what happened? The king in the north decided, well, wait a minute. If we don't set up some kind of a place where people can worship here in the north, you know, a counter place to Jerusalem, then all the tribes are gonna go down to Jerusalem at Passover time and at the, you know, the festival times, and they're gonna give their allegiance back to the king in the south. So they set up false gods in the north. You never had a righteous king in the north. They all led their people into idolatry. Consistently, huh? Consistently. You did have some righteous kings in the south mm-hmm. after Solomon, one or two. M- many of them were bad too, but but in the north, you, because all of them set up this false worship, mm-hmm. and it wasn't worship of God. It was idolatry, and this is what they're doing here. This is what This is where, and so what these German theologians said is they said, well, here's the deal. Okay, so... Mark wrote first and Matthew used Mark as a source and Luke used Mark as a source. And, um, well, where did they get their other information? Oh, I know where they got it. They got it from Q. What, what the heck is Q? Q <laughs> is the, the first letter of the German word for source. There you go. They got it from a source uh-huh. and they said, actually, and this is what they claimed. Actually, that source was the gospel that Jesus himself wrote, that Jesus wrote a gospel And this was the source. Really? Uh, We and what's the problem with all this? Well, there's several problems. Number one, you've had 1,800 years of Christianity, and no one's discovered this. Number two, there is no evidence of a gospel written by Jesus. Number three, there's no reference to a gospel written by. So we don't have a document. And by the way, they called Q a document. We don't have a document. Source, we don't have document. We don't have the document. We don't have the source document. And and then what they were doing is they were taking the uh, um, evolutionary ideas of Darwin that things evolve over time. And what they were saying is actually, and this is, I, I don't know if any of you have ever done any um, just CCD training, you know, where they tell you how the gospels are written and they tell mm-hmm. you, well, you see, there wasn't actually the apostles or the people who witnessed the life of Christ. who were, It was the communities that wrote the gospel. And the gospels emerged out of the Christian communities over a period of time. This is all part of the source, the Q document theory that was, by the way, invented by German theologians in the 1800s to undermine the faith of the Catholics in Germany. <laughs> it's like, people, we need to know our history. Yes. And so they brought up this whole theory of how the the Gospels evolved over the course of a couple hundred years and when they were actually written that nobody was alive who knew Jesus. And I've, I've heard all of this. I've heard this stuff taught in CCD where they're training the catechists. Yeah. They've been teaching
1: this in the seminaries, unfortunately, Mary. Many of our priest friends have told us this yeah and it's very sad
2: yeah it is sad and it's and, and you're like well wait a minute but where did it come from where did this idea come from and so for 1800 years of christianity nobody knew about this give me a break and all of a sudden now this becomes gospel truth <laughs> so that in the 20th century if you even question this you must be crazy you're like well can we go back to the fathers maybe yeah and that's what saint be- pope benedict excuse me Pope Benedict XVI was saying, we need to go back to the fathers. Pope John Paul II said that. We need to teach the fathers of the church. We need to know our roots. And so they they came up with this evolutionary theory of how, you know, and so everybody came up with their own spin on the gospel. Each community had its own particular problems, and they were trying to answer those problems. So they made up things that Jesus never said and they put words into his mouth. And and it's and yes, yeah, so I actually, there was a catechist formation book that was being used in our diocese in our diocese Los Angeles. that had an imprimatur on it and this imprimatur was, was put on it before roger cardinal roger oh, yeah. mahoney right roger cardinal mahoney became yeah. cardinal mm-hmm. um and that that book said that although it you know jesus appears to have knowledge of the future in the gospels we have to understand that those were words put into his mouth after the pentecost event by the evangelist and you're like well wait a minute what are you talking about Um, The church teaches us and has always taught that the Gospels are reliable. Jesus was a real man, historical, human being, human nature, divine person who became man and walked really on this earth, lived at a specific historical time. And when you read the Gospels, that's why they're so rooted in history because it is historical. It's reliable. And there's a historical context to everything that was said and done. And yet you have this theory coming up that has lots of problems, not the least of which is that, number one, there is no Q document, and number two, there's no extra biblical evidence. It's like that. It's like the fathers of the church attest to the fact that Matthew wrote the gospel first, and he wrote it in the language of the Hebrews. Now, many scholars question the fathers of the church who wrote that because they say, well, we can't find the Aramaic Matthew, or we can't find Well, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they did find fragments of the... Er Now, they've never found the whole thing, but they have found fragments of the Er Aramaic Matthew. But there was extra biblical evidence of Matthew having written his gospel in the language of the Hebrews.
1: Mary, this is why it's so important for our listeners to get it straight about the Bible, because what happens is from this, you get other topics that come up, like Jesus really didn't... Multiply the bread at the miracle of loaves and fishes, because we don't have this, or we, you know, we, we figured that that's just a story. It was the generosity of the people, but it comes back down to really not re, not believing in the Bible's teachings that it is God's word, right? And what is said there is actually what it means. In other words, you're pointing out the issue on uh, the Bible right now that that that's very important you know this q thing but what i'm trying to convey is that it leads to other delusions and so you almost you almost get to the point where the bible is probably just like a novel you see it takes all the
2: supernatural out of it it does and what what happens is modern scholars do tend to reduce the bible to a human document yeah they take the simply a human document right but but the church has always taught us that the scripture is God's word that's right. written in the words of men. Now remember, the word of God is not first and foremost the scripture. Okay? The word of God is his son. Mm. So it's not that it's not that we as Catholics believe that well, you know, the Bible is God's word and the Bible says that it's God's word and we believe God, so the Bible is God's word. Yeah, that's called a circular argument. No, actually Jesus Christ the son of God, the word of God became flesh and lived among us. And he revealed to us the truths that God wished him to reveal. Mm-hmm. And he, re- he came to save us from error and sin. And he taught us the reliability of scripture as God's word. And he set up an authority. That's right. By the way, there was no canon of scripture before the Catholic church. It's not that the Bible came first and then the church.
1: Nope, just the opposite.
2: The church came first and it was the Catholic Church that gave us the Bible. That's right. So it's not a circular argument. It's Jesus Christ is the authority. It's the word of God. The second person of the blessed Trinity himself is the authority. And he teaches us how the scriptures were written. And the 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 scripture, the Catholic Church only accepts sola scriptura in this sense, that every doctrine that the Catholic Church teaches is contained either explicitly or implicitly in the Bible, in the scriptures yep. that God shows us the reliability of the doctrines that he revealed. But Mary, it's God. Mary, you're setting me straight here. I'm I trying. hope you're enjoying I'm this. Trying. You know, you probably <laughs> wouldn't
1: get this education at a local parish. I hate to have to say that, but we're glad you're here. And when we come back, Mary will share some more teachings with the Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Hello, this is Terry Barber with the Terry and Jesse Show. I'm here with Gil already. He is the president of the Catholic Men's Fellowship of California. Gil, we got a men's conference coming up.
4: I appreciate you having me on, Terry, to share about our Rise Up, O Men of God, mm-hmm. the Church for You Does Wait, Super Saturday conference, and it's Saturday, March 28th in Covina at Sacred Heart Catholic Church, 344 West Workman Street in a- Covina, California. A-
1: a- Who are the speakers?
4: We have some great speakers lined up. We have Steve Ruda, former captain of the L.A. Fire Department. He's dynamic. Mm -hmm. He's energetic. He will really keep the conference moving. We have Monsignor Tim Nichols, the pastor from St. John Viennese. He's He's dynamic. Mark McElrath, Father Darren Merlino, a trained exorcist. Charlie Eshelman, a past Navy SEAL. We have Deacon Omar Uriati, who is from our parish, St. Louis de Marillac, and Father Joseph Shea.
1: And I'll be there myself, giving a little plug for Virgin Most Powerful.
4: You can reach us at catholicmen.org. Tickets are on sale there. Just follow the link. Tickets are on sale at eventbrite.com. Just be sure to get your tickets now till the 31st for $35 and $45 after that till the day of the conference.
1: Sign up for this men's conference. Call Gill at 626-841-9090.
4: I'll be sure to answer your call and give you all the information you need for the Rise Up Omen of God. For you, the Church Does Wait conference. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate your help.
1: God bless you.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call triple eight five two six twenty one fifty one. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
2: Well, Terry stepped out to do a few things that he needs to do in the office <clears throat> at this time of the day. There's lots of um, calls he has to return and people he has to um, speak to. So we have the we're talking about the the Q document, the the source. You know, what what is this source? This this theory that actually. Was invented in the 1800s. It was part of um, the um, Bismarck's culture war to try and destroy the faith of the Catholics in the southern Germany in order to get them to be more loyal to to the to the German ruler in the north. So, um, but the Q document has lots of problems with it, and and the reality is is that. The Bibles didn't evolve over a period of time, and we know that. We know that not only from external evidence, but we know it from internal evidence too because in the scriptures, the um, all four of the Gospels talk about the fall of Jerusalem, but none of them talk about it in the past tense. All four of them talk about it in the future tense. It hadn't happened yet. And also we have... Evidence from the fathers of the church about when the the gospels were written, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all written before 70 A.D. And we have internal evidence from the Gospel of John that his gospel also was written before the fall of Jerusalem. So you have a huge problem with this this whole source theory. And um, many scholars today recognize that Q is just it's a made up reality. There was there is no document. There's it's kind of like. You know somebody once said about about evolution, it's not that there's a missing link in the chain of evolution. It's just the whole chain is missing. You know? <laughs> Never in the history of the world has there been any species that evolved into another species. I remember once uh, the time life series they did on different animals and stuff, and they did one on the frog and and uh, I think it was time life i maybe it wasn't time life. I shouldn't do that, but I don't remember it was years ago, and we thought it was great because it was you know educational, whatever Martin Sheen narrated it, and we got to the frog, and they actually in the script that the the that the narrator read, it says, "Here is the missing link in the chain of evolution because this polywog turns into a frog. <laughs> it's like I laughed, I said to my children. Do you think a polywog has ever turned into anything else other than a frog? We now know from fetal development, we have the whole science of neonatology and fetal development, and we now know that when a baby, you know, when when the sperm first implants and, and penetrates the egg and the child begins to form, it doesn't look anything like a human being. But as it develops, it is human it was human life if it weren't human life it wouldn't develop into human life and and then as the baby grows it begins to look more and more and more and is more recognizable uh, but it, that doesn't make it any less human from the moment of its conception so um, the whole evolutionary thing that you know well you know all these things had to evolve and and the other problem with it is they had to evolve over the over so many years. You know, evolution like obviously Darwin's talking about millions and billions of years and um well the gospels the gospels were all written before 100 AD. So um no you know they and they were all written by eyewitnesses. So it wasn't just local communities springing up and and writing their own um theories about this that or the other thing. And the church has always taught us and she still teaches us and you can read this in Vatican too that the Gospels are historically reliable. She unhesitatingly affirms the historicity of the fourfold Gospel. She calls it fourfold Gospel. That's in Vatican II. And that what is written in the Gospels is what Jesus really did and taught while living among men for the sake of their salvation. But understand that for the sake of their salvation is not a limiting phrase. What the church is saying is that there is nothing that Jesus did or taught that wasn't for the sake of our salvation everything that jesus did and taught every breath that he took you know every beat of his heart every pulsation of his pulsating systems everything every step every thought every word every action every omission it was all done for the sake of our salvation there wasn't anything from the first moment of his conception actually to his glorification in heaven even in heaven where he is glorified the lamb who is standing, looking as though he's been slain. He still bears his scars. He still has the scars. The victim who immolated himself is no longer dying, but he offers for all eternity that act of immolated love. Everything including his glory is for our salvation, including his glorification, even in heaven, he is still the victim who immolated himself. He's not dying anymore. We as Catholics don't believe that Jesus dies at the mass in terms of dying again. No, we believe that time and space are dispensed and that we are present at the one eternal sacrifice that happened once for all in a bloody manner on Calvary and is now mystically and really represented in heaven because Jesus is in heaven with his physical body and he still bears his scars. So the immolated victim is there, still making intercession for us before the Father for all eternity. So it happened once in history. He only died once. He only shed his blood once. Absolutely. But it's an action that stretches from eternity to eternity and across all of time. And that's a concept that, yeah, it's a mystery. We can't fully understand that. And so, you know, the Q theory, and I, I found this, Terry was talking about the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, it was uh, fact or fiction. And the, the Stephen Kellmeyer here um wrote a little book and he went through the Da Vinci Code and he talks about some of the things that Dan Brown put in the Da Vinci Code and he tells you some of the problems with them. And I never read the Da Vinci Code. So, but I have definitely done scripture studies and so the Q document thing I, and I I did um CCD training here in the Diocese of Los Angeles and um it, just the idea that modern scholars, I've read some of the modern scholars including Catholics who all said Q, oh yeah, Q. Well, what is Q? Oh, it's the German, it's the first letter of the German word for source. But we call this Q document when you have no historical evidence for the document and you have no document. And yes, there is, there is historical evidence for an Aramaic Matthew. It was written by the fathers of the church that this is Matthew had written in the language of the Hebrews. And now when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they did find evidence, fragments, not the whole thing. We don't have, for whatever reason, God did not see fit to have us preserve the whole Gospel of Matthew in the original language. And so we have the Greek, which the rest of the New Testament was written in Greek. And that's, you know, that's good. So um, when you come up against these things, uh, you know, theories about the scriptures or how they were written, theories or, you know, people saying about, well, you know, when you read the Gospels, yeah, you don't know if Jesus really said that. Well, you know, go back and read what the church says. Because the church says, yes, we do really know. That the words in the Gospels are what Jesus really did and taught while living among men. Yes, for the sake of their salvation, because everything he did while he lived on earth was for the sake of their salvation. Not only what he did while on earth, but he's still, still, for the sake of our salvation, interceding for us before his Father in heaven. So we want to make sure that we understand what the church teaches us about the scripture. And the church teaches us what? The scripture is God's word. That the Holy Spirit himself is the primary author of scripture. That he used real men who acted as real authors, but they acted in such wise that they committed to writing what God intended and nothing more. Is it possible for God to work with people in such wise that they do his will? Well, yeah, I think so. I think we have a great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, that tells us that, yes, men are capable of doing God's will if they set their will to do God's will. What was it Thomas Aquinas said? Again, happy feast day, St. Thomas Aquinas. Pray for us, please, and pray for the biblical scholars and all theologians that we will love the truth. And Thomas Aquinas said, do you want to be a saint? Then will it. Set your will to do God's will. This is God's will for all of us, is to be saints. God wants to work in and through us. John Henry, Cardinal Newman, St. John Henry Newman, said, God has given you a work to do, a specific work that he hasn't given to anyone else. And so ask the Lord what it is he wants you to do. What is it you want me to do? You know, we're not all going to be Thomas Aquinas's or Augustine's or Mary Magdalene's or, you know, some of us are just janitors. You know, some of us just scrub the kitchen floor and make meals for our family. That's awesome because when we unite those actions to the sacred humanity of Jesus Christ, they now take on the value of infinity because they're united to the Godhead. Everything we do in life, you know, when we take care of our body, when we eat, St. Francis de Sales said, if you drink a glass of water in obedience to God's will that you have a body, you supernaturalize that act. It becomes supernatural. And therefore, if you unite that, to God's will, it becomes infinite in value. So when we do our duty, the duties of our state in life, you know, there's only one pope. Not everybody's going to be pope. You know, not everybody's going to be a bishop. Shouldn't, shouldn't aspire that, by the way. You, you want to run fast if somebody says they want to make you a bishop. Run and hide, run and hide. <laughs> you know? But if God calls you to it, then pray for the grace to always be humble and truthful But we're all called to be saints. We're all called to live in union with God. And we need to read the scriptures so that we know. And we need to know that the scripture is reliable. It really is God's word. It is God speaking to us right now today about how we are supposed to live out our lives in union with him. And how we are supposed to live out our lives in relation to others. You know, it's not just me and God, me and God, you know, all me and God, I'm just, you know, Even cloistered sisters, they're not about just me and God, me and God. God first, yes, but they pray for the whole world, and especially for priests. And St. Therese of L'Azout, when she was in her cloister in L'Azout, France, she wrote to missionary priests, and God actually let her bear the physical suffering of at least one priest. The priest was having a hard time doing his mission work because his feet were hurting so bad. Trez prayed for him, and she, her feet became almost so painful that she could almost not walk, but she walked, and she still did her duty in the convent, and she offered it for that priest, and that priest wrote back and said, I guess I'm getting used to the walking. My feet don't hurt so bad. So we can bear one another's burdens. We can serve one another in the body of Christ, and everything we do can be united to Christ for the sake of his body, the church. We are here to praise the glory of God's name to build up his kingdom and to do his will. So every day we want to ask for the grace to do that, that we praise God's name, build up his kingdom and do his will. So we ask the Lord to do his will in us, to glorify his name in us and help us to do our part to build his kingdom. Thank you so much for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. I hope you enjoy scripture study as much as I do. Please, God, we'll see you again next week. I have Bible study tonight at the chapel at 7 p.m. and Thursday afternoon at 1. You're welcome to join us. Pray for us at Virgin Most Powerful Radio.
5: St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests. O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance. And return to Thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou Thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of Thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests, For Thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio,
0: sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.